0: You're here. We are, as Jeremy mentioned before, on the last Sunday of the Beginnings series. Uh, many of us have read through the first five books of the Bible in, in the form of this book, Beginnings. And uh, we're going to try to pay a little attention to one more word from God from this particular um, part of God's Word. So just want you to listen to this verse. We're going to read the passage a little bit later, but just listen to these words that Moses spoke to God's people right when they were getting ready to enter that promised land. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. John Ortberg in his book, All the Places to Go, um, notes this, uh, this Columbia University researcher named Sheena Iyengar, who studies decisions and choices people make. And she says this. She's found that the average person makes about 70 decisions a day. That's 25,500 decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions. Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices. You put all those 1,788,500 choices together, and that's who you are. Hmm, That's a way to think about life, isn't it? That we're defined by our choices, by all those choices. You put them all together and the sum total, the reality of what that is, describes who we are and what makes us us and what makes us the kind of persons to make certain choices. Um, Choices are laid out before us, many choices. Most of us make many choices every day, day by day. We make choices that have great significance most of the time. We make a fair number of choices that don't have much significance at all. But we just have to do them every day. All of us decide what we are going to wear this morning. Right? Some of us gave a lot of thought to it. Others of us, not so much. I think the worship dance team really didn't have much of a choice about what they were wearing today. It was one of the days they didn't make a choice about what they were wearing. But we, we make those kinds of decisions, not normally of earth-shattering significance, but there it is, a decision we make every day. What to, what to eat? What to buy? Which one? When I was younger, back in my high school and college days, um, my grandfather, actually my step-grandfather, um, he had been uh, born in a suburb of Chicago. When he was one year old, he moved to a town west of Chicago called Naperville. Naperville is a, is a Today, it's a very big town. It's like a huge suburb of Chicago. Technically, it's a city because it's like 150,000 people in that suburb. It's the wealthiest city in America, I believe, uh, judged by size and per capita income. But when my grandpa was, uh, was a boy and when he was a man, uh, when my dad was growing up in that town, it was a farm town. It was a small place. And Grandpa, Broker, grandpa Bill had a store in town. With his dad and his brother, and became his in the end. It was just called Broker's. It was what was called a dry goods store. And it lasted from like the 1930s into the 1980s. And when I was in high school and college, we would go to Broker's store. When I was in college in the neighboring town, I remember a few times driving over to Broker's. And you know there was a reason? Because there was a family discount. My mom said... Go to Brokers. That's where you're going to find what you need. Do you know what the family discount was? 40%. Yeah. Not bad. So I would go there, but I remember a number of times actually going. I had not really done a lot of shopping for clothes in my life. When I was in high school in the 70s, the dress code was really, not was non-existent sort of, but the informal dress code was really, really simple. Jeans and a t-shirt, jeans and a flannel shirt, work boots, that was about it. I didn't really need to think much at all. But I went, in college days, I'd go there, and some days I would just be paralyzed. Like I didn't have enough money to buy everything I wanted, even with the 40% discount. What? Which one? You see, choice so much defines us. We live for it, we live by it, but we're paralyzed by it. We don't know sometimes what to do. But choice is so, so significant. It's a significant part of who we are. And that's true for all of us. It's true for you, too. You've lived that way almost your entire life. And we've had no generation of people in human history growing up like the youngest generation now. Every generation has more choices. We are, believe it or not, we don't use this kind of phrase. This is a phrase that comes from a very controversial issue in America today, okay? But I want to rip it out of that context. I want you to recognize marketing when you hear it, okay? You know the words together, pro-choice, okay? And you know that's talking about a controversial issue, but you know that's a genius label. Do you know why? Because in general, we're all pro-choice, aren't we? We're pro-choice in this sense. I want choices. I don't want someone else to make choices for me. I'm grateful to live where I do today. I'm grateful to walk into a store and have untold options, Ever gone into a store in the, in the majority world? Ever traveled in a poorer place in the world and walked into a store and found that the choices are pretty limited? There's just not a lot of options? We're used to all these options. We're all about choice. But almost all the choices we give ourselves to and almost all the choices we labor on and think about a lot are not choices that ultimately matter. They're not The choices that you make, but it's not about whether to eat or not, it's about what to eat. It's not about whether to to wear clothes or not, it's about what to wear. Well, in the end, those are of minor significance. But the Bible drives us to think about certain choices that are more significant. My choice of what I'm going to eat later today, what I wore this morning, which path to take to church as I was driving in this morning, because believe it or not, I talked with my daughter on the way, could go this way or this way, the last mile. Doesn't really matter. But the Bible tells us to think about choices that actually matter intensely. We might put them like this. Have you ever heard this phrase? It's a matter of life and death. That's the kind of choice that Moses talked about with his people when they were getting ready. When he was just about to die... And when they were getting ready to finally go into a land that they'd been wandering towards for 40 years. And I want you to listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. We're going to listen to these words from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. It goes like this. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you and it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And now I call in heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. And Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Life is the sum of all the choices you make, Camus said. But some choices matter more than others. Some are more definitional than others. Some are more significant to say who you really are. Man, I could tell you what kinds of colors I like, and what my favorite ice cream color is, and what my favorite kind of music And those are all maybe somewhat significant, although not necessarily profoundly. Maybe the kind of music I like might tell a little bit more about me than the flavor of ice cream I like. I don't know. But mint chocolate chip, by the way. (laughs) But as you get to certain choices and certain decisions, we get closer and closer in to to the core matter of who we are and what our life is all about. And Moses cared so much for the people he was talking to. He had given one-third of his life at this point to leading them and guiding them. Forty years he'd been with them. Forty years before, he had been the liberator. He had set them free as he had confronted Pharaoh and led them out of slavery with God's blessing and God's enablement to a brand new land and a brand new promise. But almost 40 years before, he had led them to the very border of the promised land. And at that very moment, God had, in essence, laid before them a choice. A choice for life or for death, blessing or curse. And they chose in that moment not to believe God and not to trust God. They actually chose death over life and curse over blessing. And so all of the adults in that generation, save two, had died. They'd passed on in the previous 40 years as as their people had wandered around. God had told them. God had invited them, God had offered his blessing to them, and they had said, no, no, we don't trust you, Lord. We understand it. We're going to do it our way. And now, 40 years later, a full generation gone, another generation and two, grown and ready to enter this land, and Moses lays out before them the very same thing. And God wants them to engage with this question more than one time in their lives. So he doesn't just speak the words right now. He tells them about something he wants them to do after they cross over that river, after they're in the land. They've been there for a while. They're settled down a little bit. He wants to invite all of Israel together into a particular place near a town called Shechem. And there were two mountains. Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. And he wanted half of Israel to line up on one side of one mountain and half to line up on the, on the side of the other mountain. And they would illustrate, as they were standing there, the choices that God laid before them. The choice to trust, the choice to believe, the choice to obey, the choice to give your life to something that's good and that matters. The choice to engage with the God who created you and made you and remade you and liberated you and set you free and the God who's given you this land or the choice to go your own way. He spelled out the blessings and spelled out the curses that would come on. And and, and they were to stand there so that they would understand again the gravity and the seriousness and the significance of the situation what God was calling on them to do. And to commit their lives again to the God who was their God, the Lord their God. That's what Moses did on that occasion. He spelled out what he wanted them to do later. But even then, it's not like he was waiting for them to make a decision later. He was speaking to them right now. Listen, I'm talking to you now. I'm setting before you. God is helping me set before you these two choices, these two ways of life, these two ways of making sense of your existence. And I want to ask you, What way are you going to go? What decision are you going to make? What is your choice? There's a lot of things we don't need to choose about. A week ago was the Academy Awards. Do you know what? At this point in my life, I don't... Honestly, I I, I sort of wish I did, but I, I, I don't see enough movies. I don't even have an opinion so I didn't watch it because what for? I don't have an opinion. I don't need to make a choice. What was the best movie of 2017? Sorry, you're looking at a pastor who's utterly ignorant about what the best movie of 2017 was. I don't even think I know anything about the movie that won. Okay, pray for me if I'm, if I'm just living, you know, the wrong existence. But I, there's a lot of things we don't need to have an opinion on, we don't need to make a choice about, but what Moses is saying to God's people is, this is something you cannot avoid. You need to decide. You need to commit. You need to say, this is my life or this is my life. One way or the other. And that is a pattern that we find actually played out in multiple ways throughout the scriptures. Found in different uh, Places in the Bible. Listen to these words at the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua 24, the leader after Moses is speaking to God's people after they've been in the land for a bit. And he says this, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River? or we will be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, speaking to the same community. Who are you going to serve? As Bob Dylan would say, you've got to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Is it going to be the Lord or someone else? First Kings chapter 18 is a great scene with the prophet Elijah so many years later up in a mountain, and God's people are, are, are really being pulled in multiple directions, and another God is being worshipped to such a great extent in that country, and he says, so, so Ahab, the king, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. Make up your mind choose. These are questions you can't put off. They matter intensely. Many, many years later, Jesus was early in his ministry. He was healing people and teaching in their communities. And there were a number of people who started to follow him. And so his disciples were close into him on a particular day nearby, but there are others as well, standing off in the distance, listening to what he had to say. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus described what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, what it's like to live when God is your king. This is how you live. This is how you react. This is what's going on inside of you. This is your character and these are your words and this is how you respond. He painted it all clearly. And then at the end, he called for a decision and he did it this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down And the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, and the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know what a lot of people like to do with Jesus and Jesus' words? like those great words in the Sermon on the Mount that describe such an amazing way of life. It is a really awesome thing, in this day and age in particular, when we're less about the decisions we make than about the public things we say about other people's lives. It is to admire from a distance Jesus' words and admire from a distance Jesus' values and say, that's awesome. But to kinda do it from a distance And to be on the sideline of the whole question. And Jesus said, I don't want you on the sidelines. I don't want you in the stands. I don't want you admiring my words. I don't want you telling somebody else what a great sermon I gave. I don't want you telling other people, Jesus is our guy and he's such a great teacher. Man, does he know how to tell stories. And man, he packs a wallop in those words. I don't want you telling other people about me in that way. I'm asking you, what are you going to do with my words? Are you just going to hear them? Mm, and that's it? What does that lead to? Any foolish man can do that. I want you to be wise people who hear what I say and put it into practice. You see what we find again and again? That the Bible lays out choices for us. It's either this or this. There's a lot of both ends in life, but not everything is a both end. You know the phrase from... Uh, What was the guy's name? Yogi Berra. Remember Yogi Berra? Yogi Berra was a a player, baseball player for the New York Yankees for many years and a coach. He was born in 1925. His baseball career ended in the late 80s. He just died about two and a half years ago, 90 years old. Yogi Berra was a catcher for the Yankees back in glory days. And as much as anything nowadays, if people know his name, they know him almost not as much for his baseball as for the things he said. Yogiisms, that's what I call them, anyways. He said things like this Nobody goes there no more, it's too crowded. I'm supposed to think about that one. It ain't over till it's over. That's a yogiism. I really didn't say everything I said. Or maybe one of my favorites is this one. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, that's a great line, and I think most people, including myself, have misunderstood the meaning of that sentence from Yogi Berra. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Do you know what I've always thought that meant? When you come to a situation or something, you just got to gotta live. You can't stay. you just got to choose something. It almost doesn't matter what you choose. Just choose something and move forward, right? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. I think I told you once about a, a lady I knew. A uh, couple who were friends of my parents. And they were traveling out west. And um, Mrs. Grave was driving along. And Mr. Grave was asleep in the car. And all of a sudden he wakes up. And they are driving through the middle of like a cornfield or something. He's like, Bobby, what are you doing? And she said... I came to a fork in the road, and I didn't know which way to go, so I went straight. (laughs) That's what happens sometimes at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. All right? So so, Yogi Bear's words sound like wisdom. When you come to a fork in the road, take it one way or the other. Which sounds awfully close to saying, your choice is your choice, and you make it good no matter what it is. All roads lead to Rome. Any way will work. But that's not actually what Yogi Berra said at all. Those are his words. But it came from a particular moment in his life where he was giving directions to somebody um, how to get to his house. And near the end of the directions, when you get to a certain community, you get to this place and you come to the road end. So you come to a fork in the road. And it doesn't matter which way you go, if you go this way or this way, because it is, in fact, in that neighborhood, going to end up in the same location at his house. So all it was was the midst of a long set of directions for I to get somewhere that had great specificity before it and a number on a house at the end of it. And so the line, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, didn't mean anything goes. But at that particular moment, anything goes because there's only two choices and they go to the same place. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. No, no, not the best line for us right now. When you come to a fork in the road... Jesus or something else. It matters intensely. In John chapter 3, it tells us that it makes all the difference in the world whether or not we say yes to Jesus or yes to somebody else. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The very reason that Jesus came to this world was so that human beings could know God. So they could have a life with God. So they could have a life with God that was real and significant and that mattered and that would last forever. A life that would begin now, but that would never end. And that's why he came. He didn't come to get rid of people. He didn't come to condemn people. He didn't come to trip people up. He came so that human beings could know God and know what their life was about and have a brand new start because of meeting him. But the passage goes on, it says this, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. At the end of that chapter it says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. What Jesus was saying is, I want you to understand why I'm here. It's a very similar purpose to to the words that Moses spoke. Not exactly the same. Uh, Today, I'm not standing before you to say that you need to read the Torah beginnings and put into practice everything you find there because there are distinct and particular commandments that were given in a particular moment of time to God's people for how they were going to live in the literal promised land. And that's not the law that we fully embrace as our way of life today. But Jesus comes with a particular, a similar message. I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you may live. Choose me so that you may really live. Because when you do, when you love me and choose me and listen to me and trust me, your life will be real. It won't be fake. It won't be incomplete. Our world is full. Our American world today is full of so much affluence and so many choices and so many options. And at one and the same time, in so many ways, life has never been better. I referenced a book the other week. If you read Steven Pinker's latest book, a Harvard professor, he will try to convince you about how awesome the world is today and he's got a great case to be made. People are living longer, murder, murder is down, violence is down in the world today, our technology is doing astounding things, there's no question. But what Dr. Pinker doesn't seem to be able to answer is why at the same time is there so much anxiety, so much depression, so much dead end in so many people's lives, especially in a country like ours. Why are there so many people who have everything and feel like in the end they don't have much at all? Do you know why? I believe, not to be too simplistic, but because they don't really have life. Moses said, I said before you, life and death, it's not prosperity. It's It's not getting stuff. It's not just having great experiences, but it's knowing God. And that's why Jesus came, so that we could truly know him. Every one of us here has to make choices and decisions about that. There's no other choice that matters as much. Many of you have already made that decision or that choice for yourself. Many of you, most of you, I believe have said yes to Jesus. You've chosen the path of life. But you know it's possible that you've kind of come to take that for granted. You chose to become a disciple. But in a fresh way today, you need to choose to be a disciple. Because being a Christian isn't just a status. It's a path. And on a path we don't stand, we walk we're on the move and like Moses implied these are questions we need to confront again and again I said yes to Jesus a long time ago I was so little I hardly understood what I was doing but I want to say yes to him again with my life in 2018 in fresh ways because I know I have not arrived I have further to go you do too But there's some others of you this morning who've actually never made that choice. You've never fully said to Jesus, I want you, I'm choosing you. You may even believe he's the real deal. You may believe he's God's special communicator to the human race. You may believe his death matters somehow. But you've never really embraced that his life and his death matter for you. You've never really gotten this Jesus, I'm choosing you because your death was for my sins. Your death was for what's missing in me. The call of life to follow you as Lord is one that you give to me. Not just to us, but to me. You know, when Moses was talking to all those people that day, I set before you life and death, choose. He was using the second person singular. You remember your grammar? First person, I, we. Third person, He, him, they, okay? He, her, they. Second person, you. You and you. There's you, and then there's you, all right? (laughs) And when Moses was talking to all those people, he was talking singular. You and you and you and you and you. The word is to every one of us. So choose. Choose life. And if you're not sure about Jesus, find out about him. Because I promise you, there is no one like him. There's no other alternative like him in this life and in this world. I want to pray for you right now. okay? Father God, we bow before you. We're grateful for life, but we're grateful to know that life isn't sheer existence. We all sheerly exist. We're all biologically alive right now. We're breathing. Our hearts are, are pumping. Our, our, our blood is moving. We all traveled to get here this morning. We all know how to keep busy with things. We know how to be alive in that way. But you call us to choose life, real life. It's what you offer. It's a way of life you describe. And by ourselves, we can't live that way of life. But it's a life you give as a gift. It's a life you give in the gift of your son. Your son who is the way, the truth, and the life. And some of us this morning, Lord, are, have known you for a long time and we are freshly saying, Lord, guide us and lead us. Help us never forget that we are who we are because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Help us never forget that we are who we are because you chose us. And we chose you as well. Help us remember and recall and realize in this moment that we haven't sometimes really been following. We've been standing and looking off into a distance. But you call us to walk the way. Help us not just to have been people who became disciples a long time ago, but people who are disciples in this moment and are being transformed. Others of us are here and the truth is we've never really made a decision. But your call to us is just as real. Choose life or death, Jesus or no Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you help us this day to say yes to him right now. To know that his life was given in sacrifice for our failures, and his obedience. Was the offering we could never make to you. That you loved us so much that you did what was necessary for us to know you. So, Jesus, be our Lord, be our Savior. Come into our lives, change us, and put us on a new path. No matter whether we've known you for a long time or we are just seeking to come to know you right now, we don't come with our resumes. And our achievements, we just come just as we are. Because everything we need comes from you. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.